Chapter 3 of the Story of George Fox by Rufus Jones. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Read by Richard Vogel. Gathering the Children of Light. At first, after he had made his great discovery of the living Christ, George Fox did not yet know what he should do next. He had made no plan for his life. In his lonely wanderings, he had hoped to find a people that had a real spiritual religion, and he had expected to join with them and live among them, if he ever found them. But now that alone by himself and without any human teacher to help him, he had found what he was seeking. The feeling soon broke in upon his mind that he ought to go forth into the world and tell everybody who would listen about the light and life of God in the soul of man. Before he was well started on his mission, however, he had two moments of hesitation. One moment of hesitation came to him as he was walking through the beautiful Vale of Belvoir, which he calls the Vale of Beaver. In the midst of the beauty and glory of this valley, he began to wonder, as so many other persons have done, whether, after all, everything in the world had not come by nature, by a simple, natural process. Is not, perhaps, nature its own author? its own maker and builder? Do not all things form and shape themselves from elements that were always there and that possess the power of changing into other things? Are not the stars vital substances which send out seeds of life to the earth, and even amid these souls of ours that shape for themselves bodies to live in? If this were so, then there might not be any God, all things just came. This idea got hold of George's thoughts there in beautiful beaver as he slowly footed the winding road, and all his mind was clouded with doubts. There was no mission in the world for him if God was not real. He could not preach about elements. All his high hopes and his new joy must vanish if the universe was nothing but natural matter with no inner soul. He did now what he always did when he was in trouble. He sat down in the quiet and stillness and waited for the voice within him to speak. He hushed his arguments. He stopped his wonderings and just listened like Elijah when the still small voice came to him. In a few minutes, a living hope arose within him, and a true voice said, There is a living God who made all things. And George Fox adds, My cloud vanished away, and life rose over it all. My heart was glad, and I praised the living God. The other moment of hesitation was not because of doubts which he had, but because the whole creation seemed to open its meaning and its secrets to him. It suddenly seemed as though he could see through everything and understand it all. The creation was open to me, he says. All things were new, and all creation gave another smell. I saw the nature and virtue of things. It was as though he had passed up through the flaming sword of the cherubim and had come into paradise and was like Adam before he fell 
who could talk face to face with God and could see the natures of all things and give them their names and knew only purity and peace and joy. In this moment of rapture, Fox wondered whether he should not go out and practice medicine to heal the wounds and pains and ills of the world, since the creation was open to him so that he could discover all the healing virtues of things. But it soon grew clear to him that his work in the world was not to doctor men's bodies, but to help them find God and to cure their souls and to live pure lives. The Lord, he says, sent me forth to preach his everlasting gospel, to declare truth. In powerful and piercing words, he began telling little groups of people who had passed through experiences something like his own about the living Christ who reveals his light and life and love in the soul of man. He opened his work of ministry in a very quiet way in the Midland counties of England, Leicestershire, Warwickshire, Nottinghamshire, and Derbyshire. One of his very first followers and disciples was a woman named Elizabeth Hooton, who lived at Skegby near Mansfield, where a small group of persons accepted his teaching. Fox himself says that the Lord's power wrought mightily and gathered many of them. And he also says the Lord's power was wonderfully manifested at Mansfield and other towns thereabouts. Here, the people who gathered around him and were separated from the churches came at first to be called the children of light, though they soon called themselves friends. Fox's preaching in these early days was very simple and quite different from that in the Puritan churches. He asked people to stop arguing about Christ and turn their attention to the light of Christ in their own souls, to sit still and listen and let God's grace and power work within them. Above everything else, he told all his hearers, they must get all shams out of their lives. They must be what they profess to be, and they must carry out all the truth which they discovered into action in daily life. They must stop being insincere. When they said anything, they must mean it. Fox himself gave up observing all fashions and manners, customs and conventions, which he thought had become hollow, empty, and meaningless. He resolved that he would not do anything for mere show. When the Lord sent me forth into the world, he wrote in his journal, he forbade me to put off my hat to any, high or low, and I was required to say thee and thou to all men and women, without any respect to rich or poor, great or small. He made a great point of treating everybody alike, of showing as much respect to a poor person that labored with his hands as to the wealthiest person who had everything done for him. He maintained that in the sight of God all were alike and all were precious. He wanted to spread in the world a religion and a way of life which would give everyone everywhere a full chance to be the kind of person God in the creation meant him to be. He hoped, too, to change all hard customs, unfair laws, and unjust systems which kept men bound and cramped 
and to help bring in a condition of things more like the kingdom of God which Christ talked about. George Fox quickly found out how difficult it is to change the world and how much suffering it costs to live differently and to act differently from the way people in general live and act. He never stopped to consider the easy way. He challenged what seemed to him wrong, regardless of what might happen. He got his first taste of the kind of suffering that was to come to him all the rest of his life in the town of Nottingham, one Sunday morning in 1649. He was walking along the high road, when from a hilltop he saw the spire of St. Mary's Church. He could not bear the sight of church spires. They seemed to him unnecessary, useless, and made for show. He had formed a great dislike of the church as it was in his day, of the preaching which people had to listen to in the churches, and especially of the ministers who were, he thought, hollow and empty. When he saw a spire, it aroused all his deep feelings of dislike. The church spire seemed to him to be the focus of the entire system which he disapproved. He had not yet quite learned to control himself and to see there was something true even in things which he disliked. As he caught sight of the Nottingham spire, Something powerfully moved him to go and cry out against what was going on in that church. When he got there, he thought the minister looked dull and stupid, like a lump of earth. So he himself began to tell the people in the church that God was ready to speak in their own souls, that if they would listen to him and obey his voice, the full day of life and glory would dawn in their own hearts and the day-star would arise in their souls, and they would be able to understand God's living word and serve him without the help of priests and without long and tedious sermons. Quite naturally, the minister did not like the interruption of his service, though the people who heard the stranger's words were amazed and could not for a long time get them out of their ears. But while Fox was still speaking, some officers came up behind and seized him and put him in a nasty, foul-smelling prison. The head sheriff, named John Reckless, who had charge of him, was convinced of the truth which Fox preached about God, and he and his entire family were changed and became children of the light, and many others became tender when they felt the power of God break forth through his life and his words. A man whose soul had been touched came and offered to take George Fox's place in the prison and to suffer instead of him if the judges would let Fox go. He was soon released from his first imprisonment without any substitute and allowed to go on his way in freedom. The experience in Nottingham had not made him any more careful or cautious. He was just as ready as before to cry out against things which he believed to be wrong or a sham. Coming into Mansfield Woodhouse, where he calmed a distracted woman who was mended by the Lord's power and became one of the children of light, Fox was moved to go to the steeple house, as he always called the church building, and declare truth there. 
The people in this church did not wait for the officers. In Fox's own account of the affair, he says, The people fell upon me in great rage, struck me down, and almost stifled and smothered me, and I was cruelly beaten and bruised by them with their hands, Bibles, and sticks. Then they hailed me out, though I was hardly able to stand, and put me into the stocks, and they brought dog whips and horse whips, threatening to whip me. Finally, he says, the rude people stoned me out of the town for preaching the word of life to them. But the Lord's power soon healed me again. That day, some people were convinced of the Lord's truth and turned to his teaching. At every town where he came in his travels, some people were convinced. And the more he was attacked and beaten, the more people believed in his truth. In Market Bosworth, he was stoned out of the town, but some people were loving, and others were confirmed. An incident occurred at Twycross, which shows the heroic stuff and fiber of Fox's spirit. While he was visiting a great man of the town who was lying dangerously ill and needed spiritual help, a serving man in the house came running out of a room with a naked rapier in his hand and in a wild, mad way, threatened to thrust it into Fox's side. George says in his journal, I looked steadfastly on him and said, Alack for thee, poor creature. What wilt thou do with thy carnal weapon? It is no more to me than a straw. At length, in his journeyings, he came to Derby, where he was to spend a whole year in prison for declaring truth. It all came from his bold and unrestrained method of crying out against things which struck at his life. He went to Derby Steeple House on a great lecture day when distinguished visitors were preaching there, and after they had finished, Fox rose and gave them his message, which he believed was from the Lord. They at once arrested him and brought him before the magistrates, where he spoke with unusual boldness of the living Christ and of the triumphant life when Christ lives in an obedient man. It seemed to the magistrates too bold. They called it blasphemy, against which there was a law, and they committed George Fox to the Derby jail for six months. While he was in the jail, Fox had many visitors who came to ask him for help, or to discuss religious questions with him. He wrote a great many papers and letters explaining to the world his teachings and his practices and his desire for a better world. The keeper of the jail, who at first was very hard against him, became completely changed and very tender. One evening, George overheard the jailer say to his wife, Wife, I have seen the day of judgment, and I saw George there, and I was afraid of him because I had done him so much wrong and spoken so much against him to the ministers and professors and to the justices and in taverns and alehouses. A little later, he came into Fox's room and said to him, I have been as a lion against you, but now I come like a lamb. And like the jailer that came to Paul and Silas trembling, 
He asked if he might come and live in the room with Fox. And so it was arranged for the strange prisoner and his jailer to live together in the jail. The judges, too, were much impressed with the character and spirit of the prisoner. They tried to contrive some plan to set him free and to get him out of the jail, though they did not like to say that they were sorry for having put him in. They told him that he might have liberty to walk a mile in any direction he pleased, but George declined to take any walks until they had measured off an exact mile. When he did walk out on his mile trips, he went into the streets and market of Derby and warned the people to repent of wickedness. It was here in Derby that the children of the light were first called Quakers. One day in 1650, when George Fox was in the court and Justice Bennett, a distinguished judge, was questioning him, Fox declared that the time had come for men to quake and tremble before the Lord. And the judge used words something like this, So, you are Quakers, are you? And the name stuck and soon came into general use. When the six months of the sentence was nearly expired, some army commissioners came to the jail and tried to get George Fox to join the Army of the Commonwealth, and they promised to make him a captain. He told the commissioners that he was against all wars and could not fight with arms against anybody. He said that he was living in the virtue of that life and power that takes away the occasion for all wars. What he said to the commissioners so offended them that their rage got up, and they ordered the jailer to put him into the dungeon among the rogues and felons. So I was had away, the journal says, and put into a lousy, stinking place without any bed amongst thirty felons, where I was kept almost half a year. He was deeply affected by the evil condition of the prisoners in the dungeon, and he wrote letters to the justices showing them how hurtful it was to keep men in jails where they learned wickedness and became brutalized and much worse than they were before. He pleaded for a change in the laws which put men to death for small crimes and petty offenses. His tender heart was especially touched by the case of one poor woman in the jail who was to be executed for stealing. She was finally saved from the gallows and became convinced of God's everlasting truth. That is, she became one of the children of light. One day, a conjurer who was in the jail frightened everybody, even the jailer himself, by threatening to raise the devil and break down the house. It was an age when almost everybody believed in the power of witchcraft. Fox was not so easily scared. He says, I was moved to the Lord to go in his power and rebuke him and say unto him, Come, let us see what thou canst do. Do thy worst. I told him the devil was raised high enough in him already, but the power of God chained him down. So he slunk away from me. George's relatives had tried in vain to get him out of the jail for he would not budge until the magistrates who put him in were ready of their own accord to come and take him out. That is what they finally decided to do. In the winter of 1651, 
after having passed six months in the common jail and six more months in the felon's dungeon, the magistrates opened his prison door and set him at liberty. End of chapter 3